What's wrong with Ukrainian-Polish relations? You are listening to the Explain Ukraine podcast. Ukraine and Poland are now going through one of the worst periods of their recent mutual relations. Historical memory clashes have reared their heads again, and controversy about Ukrainian grand exports to and through Poland shows signs of a serious trade dispute. What happened to the seemingly rock-solid relations from a year ago when Russia started its cruel invasion against Ukraine and Poland stepped up as one of the leading countries in helping Ukrainian refugees and supporting Ukrainian resistance against the Russian invasion? Our guest on this episode of the Explaining Ukraine podcast is Wojciech Przybylski, a Polish political analyst and author. Przybylski is editor-in-chief of Wyszegrad Insight and president of the Respublika Foundation. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and chief editor of Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the most reputable Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Patrons get exclusive content. You can also support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Wojciech Przybilski, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for having me. Welcome. So let us talk about this very, very right now difficult relations. Uh, and it was very unprecedented, I would, I would say, very unexpected one year ago that Polish-Ukrainian relations will become difficult at this moment. Uh, can you describe to our listeners that maybe are not aware with with these uh, complications? Can you describe what is going on uh, briefly so that we we just know the uh, the scene? I would say by I would start by saying that we are not having a difficult relationship between Poland and Ukraine altogether. We are having a very difficult moment ahead of Polish elections that may sediment into much much more grave situation which then may produce social uh social repercussions and may sediment with with vibes of nationalism on both sides that is juxtaposed against each other but currently we have um over 70% of polish society fully supporting uh ukrainian uh cause uh I mean, in the sense of Ukrainian support in Poland for the refugees, for our donations, for for the support to 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 Ukraine, and we have even more supporting Ukrainian cause in the global scene and in the war. So overall, the strategic culture of Poland is unshaken, but there are cracks in the foundation. And the cracks in the foundation of the Polish position on Ukraine come in the midst of the electoral campaign uh, where PIS, the incumbent government, has been uh, manifesting its skepticism uh, towards Ukraine on several levels. Most recently, uh, it was um, banning the grain imports uh, or 
practically speaking, I should say, uh, grain transit that has been agreed in the earlier months of the war after Russia has been blocking uh, exports of grain from Ukraine through the Black Sea. And Poland was opening to the grain export through Poland to, to the global markets. Poland has uh, an important sector of economy uh, in, in terms of agriculture. And it turned out that the government mismanaged the transportation of grain through Poland and allowed for undisclosed number and names of the companies uh, because the government holds this uh, as a secret. Uh, we don't have an open data um, by the government to actually use some of that grain meant for re-exporting or transit through Poland um, to be uh, flooding the Polish uh, domestic uh, sector, which damaged essentially the the small medium enterprises farms that have been that are generally speaking smaller than Ukrainian uh, big players on, on the market, and that has hurt um, the key electorate, uh, both in terms of interests, but also in terms of emotions. And we're giving up Polish interests and the well-being of Polish families, SMEs, in order to help um, Ukrainians. And that sentiment has been immediately, in the beginning of the year, turned around by uh, the radical parties, which are now not so important in the opinion polls ahead of the race, and the vote is on the 15th of October. But... Um, but these smaller parties started to undercut the incumbent government, right-wing government or far-right government in Poland, from even more extreme positions of, of nationalism, uh, economic nationalism at least, but also coming with a degree of cultural nationalism uh, that, that, that kicked in. And PIS government started to see it as a, a, a turf for rivalry and started to signal that they are willing to put a fight for exactly that kind of that segment of electorate and to demonstrate the stronger hand it started to speak against ukraine uh, in many levels first in may we had spokesperson of the polish mfa um, during zelensky visit to japan demanding that zelensky should come and apologize uh, for um, for atrocities of the um in in volinia um by uh, by Ukrainian nationalists. And then in July, we had the minister in the president, Duda Camp, Mr. Przedach, also in the same radio, demanding the Ukrainians should be more grateful for the support they're receiving from Poland. Both uh, positions uh, should be first and foremost read in the context of domestic politics and the competition for votes. But it had uh, tremendous repercussions, of course, in the kind of, again, cracking the foundations of this solidarity between Poles and, and, and Ukrainians in the fight. And most recently, it just exploded. Uh, when, you, when Poland was opposing grain, uh, uh, basically accessing or going through the Polish uh, territory, uh, from Ukraine um, on the EU level, and he, he was uh, arguing strongly for having an EU ban on this. Uh, there was a response uh, from Ukrainian side, also banning some of the food exports to Ukraine. So kind of beginnings of, you know, the very classic trade war um, on a small scale. But that ignited an, a number of, um, a number of uh, statements 
in, in which uh, both sides, uh, from Kiev and from Warsaw, escalated in narrative and rhetoric to, to a very worrying level that uh, uh, I would say, if continued, would sediment post-elections and would, uh, and would jeopardize the, the policies of, of cooperation. Um, so this is this is where things stand. I would say there, there was Mr. Zelensky speaking openly in, uh, in the United Nations, uh, um, kind of alluding to, uh, to 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 the countries that play with this national interest into the hands of Russia, which was read then in Poland with um, it was not well received, uh, generally speaking, also in the public opinion, and the government uh, hit back by a number of rather irresponsible or autistic comments, uh, including one that made the headlines of BBC, even though a little bit misrepresented by BBC, but in essence saying that the support, military support from Poland to to Ukraine might be actually in question because Poland will prioritize its own interests above uh, Ukraine. That were statements, these were statements of Prime Minister Morawiecki. So there we have it. I think by, uh, by, by now we could say that cool heads prevailed in Kiev. There was a de-escalation effort and there is a there is a normal negotiation talk between the ministries responsible for agriculture and grain and trade. Um, however, these are very dangerous vibes and that puts the uh, puts the situation on edge altogether. So I don't know. I hope hopefully this is good enough for a summary of where things stand today. Yes, it's a great summary, Wojciech, and thank you so much for this. Uh, indeed, uh, the statements of uh, Zelensky on the UN General Assembly, uh, I think many people, both in Ukraine and abroad, uh, just found them uh, much, uh, I mean, very, very excessive. So they, they could have been avoided, especially on this international forum. And indeed, there the should be a demand for de-escalation. There should be a demand for uh, softening the rhetoric. And uh, I do think that Ukraine is is very much interested in this. But at the same time, let, let's let's look into the details of of this. For example, of this uh, grain uh, uh, grain story. And one thing I cannot really understand is, of course, we understand that there is there are interests of the um of of the polish farmers and it it's obviously that it should be these interests are there they they are legitimate and they, they should be thought about but at the same time there are two aspects there is a, a free trade agreement between ukraine and uh, and the eu and Pol- poland is a member of the eu which are basically m- making everything possible to avoid any trade restrictions and secondly uh well, Ukraine is obviously much more interested in having Poland as a country, as a transit country, because there are huge problems, as we know, with the export of the Ukrainian grain abroad because of the Russian invasion, because of the blockade of the Black Sea, and the Black Sea ports have been the key uh, export uh, export routes, of course, for Ukrainian grain. Now Ukraine uh, tries to find uh, the way through through land as well, through Poland, uh, through other its neighbors, although still Black Sea plays a key role, and and here it's it's mostly the western part of the Black Sea, the the Danube region, etc. So, 
why uh, it was so difficult just to separate these two things, like say, okay, this is the grain coming to Poland, it's not being sold on the Polish market, it's just going as a transit to, to other countries. What do you think? By design, it should have been as you just said. So these are the legal and, and institutional parameters in which all of that should have functioned uh, proper. But in, in the context of the Polish governance, there was mismanagement. There was obviously uh, a situation in which the grain that was meant to be uh, just transiting and going into the final destination outside of Poland, that was misappropriated. Simply speaking, it was just cheaper, more, more at hand in, and in the hands of again, undisclosed number of companies uh, that is hidden by the government that actually profited from redistributing this and using this grain on the Polish market, simply because it was cheaper, more accessible. You didn't have to uh, haggle with the local individual producers. It was all amassed. Um, and it was, um, it was a clear instance in which the government's mishandled the issue logistical issue of transportation and then in order to cover up its own shortcomings it uh went went big on uh accusation of the ukraine or basically um putting blame on 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 the side of of ukrainians so that ukraine deals with it and at the same time their companies and their their uh, you know their there is, of course, the war. There is a general uh, security global context, but there is also economic competition by um, by companies both in Ukraine and in Poland for for the same market for a very important segment of the market as a part of the global competition and its survival of the of the fittest. So, um, so there wasn't much of a understanding, a helping hand, probably. On, on the sides of these big players in, in, in Ukraine who just wanted to push things uh, outside, outside of Ukraine. So um, I think it gives a taste of, of what is nonetheless coming, regardless of the election result, in, in terms of how different particular interests will need to have a very constructive context for the benefit of mutual further mutual relations um, so my answer would be here to to say again that with a good will and professional handling of, of such manners and and also open um, open government model in which you uh, act, you give access to data, to, to investigation, to, to transparency. You can manage things much more efficiently or track some mishandlings much better. Um, but here we also do not know a lot about what went wrong that triggered, uh, in effect, a very nationalistic response that undermines not just economic relations, but also um, had a sense of, you know, potentially endangering the uh, security cooperation. Let me ask about the the Ukrainians, which are now in Poland in large numbers. Uh, so, if I'm not mistaken, there is about 2 million Ukrainians on the Polish soil, and of course, Poland 
really was one of the key countries uh, in accepting Ukrainian refugees. And many Ukrainians found their second home in Poland. Uh, what is what is the attitude between Polish, what is the relations between, let's say, uh, the host community and the Ukrainian refugees in Poland? Do, do you see this as, as, you know, friendly developments? Do you see that Ukrainians are well integrated? Or do you see some problems resulting with this? Do you see some uh, some tensions? And also, how how does this issue is handled again with this uh, by the conservative or nationalist forces in Poland? I think you're touching upon a very delicate matter here. So I I, I, I hope I, I can I can enter this turf uh, equally, you know, not not behave like an, an elephant, an elephant in, in China's store. Uh, and I'll I'll start by saying again, I'll, um, referring to the numbers in the opinion polls overall in Poland, which indicated over 70% of people in Poland are supportive towards further aid and hospitality to Ukrainians and re- Ukrainian refugees. But as we are saying that, there is also a group of people uh, who are dissatisfied. And that is somewhere between 25-30%. That this dissatisfaction, first of all, let's say it's manifested, and then we know that it's politically significant because the government of Poland is now playing with it on the European level. The government has announced that it will be conditioning this open refugee policy of European Union towards Ukrainians on certain financial uh, caveats that European Union would need to um, deliver uh, as as guarantees that basically uh, there will be money flows for, for support of Ukrainians, regardless if that is really the true intention of the Polish government. But it is definitely for a show to the electorate in Poland which is skeptical. And at the same time, the skeptical electorate, so Ukrainians, is mostly demonstrated among undecided voters. So this about 20% of people who are unsure is somehow mostly among 12 to 20% of undecided voters who declare they don't know who to vote for or whether they will vote for anyone in the upcoming elections. So here is um, here is the first bigger context from which we uh, started off. And then, then there are individual um, approaches. First of all, uh, the civil society and the local government is continuing, continuously supporting Ukrainians overall. But the helping hand of the government from the central level has been limited to uh, opening the administrative systems, the digital administration system to to those Ukrainians. It is now primarily in terms of financial contribution, contributing to the support of children or families with children or mothers who came with children to Poland because we we are sharing the, poly, the, the program that is supportive for families with children that, were, that was meant for Polish families alone, I uh, mean Polish citizens, but now is, as of last year, extended to, to those who came from Ukraine. And that's... It's quite an investment in, um, in, in the sense 
that it, it gives immediate support, financial support and assistance next to all other forms of assistance that people coming from Ukraine as refugees uh, are receiving. And at the same time, it doesn't cost the government that much because this is a money that comes back to the economy. So it's a, basically a pro-child policy that for most of the governments in Europe has been turning very well in terms of generating consumption level and, and boosting economy. The problem or the challenges that we are facing, um, despite having an open school system for Ukrainian children and a health system available to all Ukrainians in Poland, which is quite a lot again, is that there is little more being done in a proactive policy of getting special um, programs to, to Ukrainians who may want to work in, in the Polish economy and may think of how to navigate difficulties of the public administration, regulating their status further on, being more um, also a part of the society. They, for the time being, are as, as refugees. In the longer run, they might be uh, as, as uh, simply uh, cohabitants. Um, and that absence has been felt also before the war. Uh, the government was unable to produce any policies towards people who are migrating into the country from third countries, like Ukraine predominantly. Um, and these numbers were in 2021 estimated by uh, Eurobarometer to 750,000 in 2021. And for previous four years also, it was the largest amount in the European Union in terms of recipients in, uh, on, on, on the job market predominantly at that time. Um, and the government was not able to produce any policies that would be kind of supportive for you know, conflict resolution policy, language barrier uh, overcoming. None of that from the state level has been built. And interestingly, the government in Poland uh, tried twice and has withdrew uh, such initiatives um, because of the sectors within the electorate that are more nationalistic and were triggered immediately by this kind of, they would call it a privileged access for anyone who's coming from abroad that, that are predominantly Ukrainians, but there are many people from all around the uh, different other directions. And that it remains unresolved issue, which leads many people to leave I mean, from Poland. Ukrainians also migrate to other countries in Europe uh, also to Germany, also back to Ukraine, which probably is quite a natural occurrence. So I'm not sure about this two millions. Uh, for sure, there is at least one million people in Poland currently, and probably many more, and maybe up to a million, depending on on the count. Part of the problem that we are seeing uh, objectively, I mean, outside of the cultural narratives and all these bubbles, is that at least half of the population of children that are meant to be uh, schooled, you know, they they meant to be students in, in primary and high schools are not attending Polish schools. And we don't know if they are attending Ukrainian online classes, perhaps, and that's that's good that if, if they do, in order to acquire and go through the formal levels of education and also, you know, civic education, which is at the same time no, no less important in terms of democracy uh, building and upkeeping, and whether they will have any diplomas that will entitle them to further um, 
know, education or career in wherever, in, in Ukraine or in Poland and, and any other place in the European Union. So that is a major challenge that the government is not responding. It doesn't have a plan how to deal with that and it's not drafting any plan. On the other hand, uh, I think it was just yesterday that the opposition put together a, a public um, consultation uh, with expert groups dealing with this, including uh, prominently Mr. Duszczyk from the Center of research on migration, one of the prominent voices on migration overall in Poland and specifically on the Ukrainian question that was listing a number of things that should have been done and, and must be done, and especially, of course, speaking to a potential uh, government coming up in Poland, although the chances aren't that big uh, for a change of government, that, that these policies must take place and they must take place immediately because the situation in the sense of response of society in Poland is changing. It's not dynamically, it's dynamic, it's not stable. So Polish society is responding to lack of governmental policy on Ukrainians with an increasing number of skepticism. So this is a worrying thing, especially in the hands of a nationalist government, uh, because so far they've demonstrated no progress that they would be able to to deal with um, such challenge. And another topic, very very sensitive topic as well, is of course the topic of, of uh, memory, of historical memory. And here I have the impression that there is kind of a lack of the will from the both sides to uh, to take steps uh, towards each other. That process of reconciliation that took place in the 90s and early 2000s, it seems that it's, it's now we are going just away from this direction. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in the Polish like official narrative, there is uh, the state narrative, there is a stress of uh, on the Volin uh, tragedy, Volin killings by a Polish uh, population. Uh, by the Ukrainian of the Polish population by the by the Ukrainian uh, nationalists, but uh, there is no account of what preceded it. There is no uh, attempt to to get into the deeper context and understand what preceded it, what caused it, uh, all this process which took place in in 1930s. And in Ukrainian side, I would say that there is also kind of a, there's reluctance to 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 look at this, look at also the way how Ukrainians could have been in their history not only victims or heroes, but also uh, people who would kill people, uh, kill other people massively, and uh, mm, and we are very far away from this. So maybe I mean the best thing is to do one day is to let uh, common historical commissions work and very honestly work and depoliticize the whole the whole idea the whole the whole story but i think we are f very far away from this what do you think uh, i agree with you that that commission and such uh, even to a certain degree institutional and bureaucratic process involving researchers and people who can reflect who can sediment certain uh, knowledge is, is is still far away, and that's primarily because there is no um, political will behind it. And I'll um, I would say there are three levels uh, that needs to be addressed. And I'll start with the recent case of of uh, 
of a misstep in the Canadian Parliament, uh, which produced quite a repercussion in Canada, in in Canada, in in terms of um, of welcoming um, a Ukrainian veteran that was part of FNSS, that was um, welcome in the Parliament and the Speaker of the Canadian Parliament in in. in, in in apology, in a way, also stepped down, uh, uh, admitting that it was a misstep on the Canadian side to have a person like that um, among the observers of Mr. Zelensky's visit to Canada. There is a certain broader than bilateral issue that is not acceptable overall, that is equalizing uh, Second World War positions, you know, on, on all fronts. There are there are nuances that are important that have constructed the West as we know it today with the European Union and NATO that needs to be paid attention to. And Poland is also very sensitive to those. Um, that includes um, recognition of victims and separating victims from perpetrators in, um, in the hostilities of the Second World War. So that, uh, that level is uh, has has its already international global manifestation in why we are in this fight for Ukraine in terms of all the allies to support Ukraine fight uh, against repetition of any sort of atrocities that that we now remember through Bucha, essentially. Um, and the perpetrators, individuals, and the commanders of those individuals, uh, soldiers in the uniforms, must never be uh, allowed in uh, in any chamber, and this this is the the bigger the the global context. On the bilateral issue, I think the Polish government again ignored the fact that we already had a formal apology from President Poroshenko in Polish Parliament, and I think the will, the political will, needs to be there to take the steps further in order to lead to what you describe as an ideal moment in which both societies kind of have a common understanding that this issue has been settled on political grounds so that we move forward to resolve very practical issues that are on one level um, and very practical again, examining and investigating and honoring uh, the remains of the people who were killed and basically uh, taking care of cemeteries, taking care of individual cases uh, with families being involved uh, in the process which is very individual it does not it does not require a state oversight over that but it requires the framework which is political framework for con conducting that which currently is is not really going forward and the individual cases on on basically that that involves legal and prosecutorial level uh uh, elements and then there is a uh, public memory institute institutes and then the institutionalization of 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 the of the fact that the two nations having difficult moments in the past may come together overcome it and they remember uh the facts uh in, in a similar way and i would say this is the completion of the process maybe never complete fully but in form of remembrance making it part of the of the common uh, of the common position, which has happened uh, throughout the European integration overall in the past, and this is very important. Essential, it's it's the cherry on top in a way, um, if we can use that language for for such a difficult process. 
and, and in a good way because that, as I have to stress and repeat, has led to the European integration overall in, in so many other instances. You do not have a successful European integration, which at the heart is a peace project or peace building project in Europe without reconciliation. And you cannot have reconciliation with, without clarifying the guilty from the victims and, and clarifying the understanding on, on both sides on that. And that has happened in between many countries in Europe and is still an ongoing form of, of, of remembering why we are again in this together. Uh, Poland is far from that, but it's again not so far from that. There are really practical steps to follow through uh, from the political will. And the political will is the main obstacle or lack of it is the main obstacle for not uh, going through with it. And at the same time, I do not believe, I, I, I do not think this is the central issue in, in our bilateral uh, relations. It's an essential part. We will not, it, it will be always an anchor if unresolved, uh, a bad anchor, uh, but uh, it's not the central issue between Poland and Ukraine today and in the future. Absolutely. And I, I do think that all of us, um, both in Poland and Ukraine, need to understand that uh, only in unity we can win this war against Russia. And both Poland and Ukraine very much need each other, hugely need each other. And Ukrainians are very grateful for the uh, for the acceptance of so many people in Poland, mostly women and children, um, and for for support, economic and military support. But also, I think it's important for the Polish society to understand that uh, if if Ukraine falls in this war, if it it, it is grabbed under the Russian influence again. Polish Poland can be next, and uh, this is. Uh, let's not have illusions about NATO or or big big uh, help from the behind the ocean. Uh, if Russia understands that he can win uh, in Ukraine, uh, I don't think that there is something that can stop it from this highly militarized society from going forward. And uh, giving this, taking this into account. What would you say on the policy level, and this is my last question perhaps for today, what would you say on the policy level, what what the most good things you think both Ukrainian and, and Polish governments can do today? Well, there is a, a number of things that we'll, of course, have to wait for after election period in, uh, in, in the common uh, relations. First of all, on the policy level, we need to make sure that Ukraine reconstruction, building back, and the future prospect, and hopefully soon enlargement uh, in the European Union, is a win-win. And for that, um, you need a certain imagination and policy imagination for the, for the things that will consolidate good relations in terms of making business. Uh, for a majority of the investment and majority of trade we see is not between big players, but SMEs. So kind of, you know, private citizens who are entrepreneurial and do things uh, between the two states. Um, the, the good steps were already initiated, and I have to compliment the government I have not voted for, but there were already steps toward uh, opening and, and, and making uh, common agreements on open access to economy, to uh, to respect for for uh, property rights, and for basically ease at doing business together, because nothing will consolidate this effort of of, of today's war 
further uh, than making it also uh, something that will give opportunities to families in both countries to make uh, life um, out of this relationship in trade, in, in production um, and services and so on. So that's, that's one that needs to consolidate, needs to open in the framework and looking through the, the prospect of, of the future um, enlargement and future Ukraine in, in the EU. Secondly, there needs to be, and there is a lot of homework to be done on actually Polish side, and an imagination of what sort of prospects and opportunities uh, there are uh, for having Ukraine as part of the European Union. And these policies are now uh, about both domestic and global policies. For instance, what sort of position Ukraine will have on, on China? As Europe is only shaping its policy on China in terms of trade, in terms of uh, human uh, rights and values and security and privacy. Uh, whether Ukraine will be an ally here and whether Poland will shape up its policy, which is also uh, very thin. The, the prospects of this cooperation, which is heavily sponsored by the countries that have position on the, pro on the issue of totalitarian regimes like Chinese or Russian, uh, comes at a price of making your own homework. And I think both countries need to do that homework, and probably jointly in relationship uh, to the policies of US, but also Japan or South Korea, uh, Taiwan uh, or European Union that is taking uh, shape in, in, in de-risking strategy, for instance. So there's a lot of homework on geopolitics of, 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 of global order, let's say, uh, to be done. And I think uh, Ukraine and, and Poland were kind of leaning in silently, but haven't been really vocal about taking a position and making something out of their policy. And I think there is a lot to be done if we look at other allies of Ukraine and Poland in this effort, like Czech Republic or Lithuania. So that's to give you an example in terms of foreign policy on the global scale, what needs to be, what needs to be done, and probably jointly, because Ukraine and Poland in the Europe, future of, Ukraine, uh, of European Union will mean a lot more in terms of European foreign policy and standing in, in, in policies. So this question of developing common European policy um, is, is indeed some, some, somehow of, of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a challenge. Um, that, I would say, is good for a start. But I would also just mention, lastly, because we started with the question of migration and refugees, one of the biggest challenge for all of our region in Europe, and Europe overall, but specifically to, south, uh, to Eastern, Southeastern Europe, is the problem of future of, the, of demography. I mean, the, the question of children, the, the aging society, and the types of policies, messages, narratives that come with it and produce it in the longer run are going to be one of the major challenges and themes and topics uh, to discuss. And one way to respond to them are the policies of Viktor Orban, equal, I mean, we'll say ineffective um, in terms of demography, but very efficient in terms of fear-mongering and um, rallying around his flag for, for his electorate. And there needs to be much more, you know, prospect uh, finding for for other uh, political options that are much more pro-Western um, in, you know, not just simple, let's say, 
daily political choices by the civilizational model. Because our countries to flourish and prosper in, in the long run needs, needs to be uh, models for actual human, uh, good human conditions and, and place to thrive. So, so well-being of people that produces also more people eventually and not less people um, is, is, I think, a common challenge for policies of those countries. I think you're absolutely right, and and the kind of a liberal theories of societies over the past uh, decades overlooked, I think, these demographic problems, and uh, now Ukraine is of of course facing uh, an even harsher situation when so many people have died, and and much bigger number of people have actually uh, left their homes, uh, either either went to other parts of Ukraine or went abroad. And, uh, of course, the scholarization of children that you mentioned is a huge problem for Ukraine as well. And, uh, frankly speaking, uh, the future looks not that bright uh, for Ukraine, even if we assume that uh, Ukraine wins this war. What will happen with this, all these territories which are now, you know, uh, deserted by this war? What will happen to all those people who are now living in other countries? And... Uh, there is also a question of migration, but there is also a question, as you said, that uh, we just need to look into the future, and the future is children, and the future is our kids. And do we really ask this question in the European Union, in Europe, in the Western societies? That's a big question for me as well, as a father of three kids. So, Wojciech, thank you so much for this conversation. Wojciech Przybilski, it was a great uh, pleasure and interest, in, uh, interest to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And, and likewise, the pleasure was mine. This was a podcast explain Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolonko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and chief editor of ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the most reputable Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Patrons get exclusive content. You can also support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.